several months ago, wanted to do a sermon at some point called uh, Life Lessons from COVID-19 and just draw some uh, uh, good things we need to know and learn and remember from a time like this. And uh, as I start, got closer, to, I almost did this a month or a month and a half ago and decided not to for various reasons. And I'm glad because as I started listing some of the different possible lessons that we could draw, there were several. So that's why this is part one today. Part two is next week. And if I remember at the end, I might give you a little bit of a clue into what next week's going to be about. But I encourage you to get your sermon notes uh, page out and be ready to follow along there and also turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, the passage that's referenced at the top of the outline, uh, one of my favorite passages as far as a, uh, a guide for personal daily life. All right, going to start out with a couple comics again from that same book. Judy Askren, you left me what some uh, that, that cool comic uh, cartoon book. So if you don't like these, blame Judy. See, I, I can do it that way since she's back visiting with us today. But anyway, uh, here's the first comic I want you to notice. Again, these were... Uh, um, <clears throat> They're based on like Bible events, but with a little bit of uh, creativity and humor. All right, this is Noah's Ark, all right? And there's the ramp. The animals are going up two by two. And as you'll notice, toward the top of the ramp is a unicorn, a real live unicorn. But right behind it is apparently two guys hiding inside a unicorn uh, outfit. And the one in the back, as they get past Noah, says, we made it, Roy, we made it. And the other one says, shh. But at the bottom, <laughs> you see a unicorn tied up. Its mouth is tied, its feet, and, 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 and there it says how unicorns became extinct. I just ponder that one a moment, okay. <laughs> All right, then, then finally this one. Uh, Moses has just come down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, and apparently he's brought them in a box. It says Ten Commandments, fragile, and he's standing there with the tablets, and all the people are gathered around the box looking at the bubble wrap that the monuments were in, or the, the commandments were in. And it says, and Moses says, uh, could you leave the bubble wrap alone for five seconds and look at these? You know, kind of like the toddler who becomes enamored with the box, of wrapping, the box or the wrapping paper more than the actual gift. You know, often in life we miss the main thing. We get distracted by too many other things. Sometimes it's wrong things we should not be distracted by. Sometimes it's, it's okay things or good things, but they're lesser things than they're not the main thing God wants us to focus on. Well, as you know, the past five months have been unique, interesting, frustrating, challenging, divisive, and you can probably think of 20 more adjectives that I could use at this point. We have experienced lots of emotions. We've been given various opportunities because of the uncertainties of all these situations. But the question is, what have we learned? What have we learned from all this? Or to take that one step further with another question, how will we use this time, this year, to make ourselves wiser and better? Ephesians 5 contains one of my favorite passages in verses 15 through 17, but I want to give you just a really quick uh, lead-in, because in verse 8 and following, uh, this, is, this passage is striking to me right now, but in verses 8 through 14, it talks about darkness and light, and trying to please the Lord, and not being involved with the fruits of uh, the deeds of darkness, and 
And then it even talks about waking up. (laughs) But then it gets to these verses. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That's what God wants us to do in any situation. It's also what he wants us to do, especially in times that are uncertain or times that can be very dark. So five lessons I want to draw so far, uh, and this is the first lesson. We live in a fallen world. I hope that's been very evident, that truth, that fact, that biblical reality over the past five months. We live in a fallen world. It is a cursed world, the scripture tells us. Matter of fact, in Genesis 1 and 2, when it describes God's amazing, astounding, perfect creation, at the end of each day, it says, and God saw that it was good. And that Hebrew word translated good actually has the idea of functioning as God intended, functioning with consistency and harmony exactly within the will of God. It was good. But then Genesis 3, everything changed. Sin entered the picture, and with it, negative consequences for all of humanity and for the created world. And that's why in chapter 3, verses 14 and following, when God is talking about the results, the consequences of their sin, he twice uses the word cursed. You see, sin caused all creation to fall from the perfect state in which God had created it. All of creation. And a lot of people don't realize, but Romans 8 explains that curse a little bit better. In Romans 8, starting at verse 18, Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation, here it is, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Did you catch those phrases that the earth, this creation of God, has been subjected to frustration? And another phrase it uses is bondage to decay. Our world is in bondage to decay. It's decaying. And it's also interesting to me that in Genesis 3.16, that the curse to Eve and for all the women after her would be pain would now be associated with childbirth. And it's interesting to me that this passage says it compares the earth to having those same birth pains as well. My theology professor, Dr. Jack Cottrell, explained all that this way. He said, The corruption and condemnation resulting from sin are experienced not only by human beings, but also by the entire universe. Man, as as the image of God, is designed to stand in a particular relationship both with God and the world. When sin corrupts the image, these relationships are also distorted. Thus, when the human race fell into sin, in a real sense, the physical creation as a whole experienced the fall. So Adam and Eve fell, and the world fell. 
And then finally, he says, the penal consequences of sin apply not only to human beings, but also to the whole of creation. Thus, in addition to human death, there is a kind of cosmic death, a cosmic curse. So what does that mean in practical terms? It means that bad stuff now happens in the world, ever since Genesis 3. It means the system is now out of whack because of sin. It means that disasters now happen in the world, and diseases happen and birth defects, and heart disease, and mental illness, and flu, and COVID-19. And it means that this life is temporary because there is now death because of sin. But then it also means there is evil in the world, and people do evil things. And thus, in this cursed world, this fallen world, there, is, there are lies, and there's violence, and there's injustice, and there's oppression, and there's racism and there's pornography, and there's persecution, and there's abortion, and there's sexual sins, and there's human trafficking. And behind the evil people and the evil actions is a primary enemy that the Bible calls the devil. But above him and above all the evil people and all the evil actions is our God who helps bring good from the bad even in this cursed world. Until one day, he will make all things new, the new heavens and the new earth. And see, that allows us to develop a more healthy perspective when we see why there's evil and why there's bad things that happen, and we also see a God who is above that. I love the perspective of the comic that I, I saw that we posted on our church Facebook site uh, a while back. Uh, Charlie Brown's on the left saying, someday we will all die, Snoopy. And Snoopy says, true, but on all the other days, we will not. I like that perspective because over the last few months, I've heard a lot of negative, 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 and you hardly hear the positive. Huh. Perspective. Seeing the big picture allows us to say, yes, this virus is very real and it's pretty contagious, but it still has a 99% survival rate. So we take sensible personal precautions. We mourn the deaths that have resulted from this virus. And we also celebrate all the recoveries. I got three preacher friends that have had the, the virus. They're over it. They're back preaching. One of them's wife had it too. Uh, the Zero House that we helped recently with the, their uh, safe house, um, the, the lady I've been corresponding with there, Leah's friend, uh, she and her husband both had COVID. They're both fine. Writer friend of mine uh, posted on Facebook that she knows a family that in the extended family, 12 members of the family had COVID, and they've all recovered, including the 90-year-old in the family that had it. And she asked this 90-year-old, do you have any advice? And she said, yes, don't watch CNN. <laughs> in other words, don't let the promoters of panic destroy your peace, is what this 90-year-old recovery person said. See, we have tragically allowed the media to create unnecessary panic in this country. But folks, we will all die someday of something. And for most of us, it will not be this virus. So we need to remember that this will never be a safe world because it's a fallen world. We can never bubble wrap everybody and everything in this world. 
It'll never be a safe world until Jesus returns and God brings in the new heavens and the new earth. So therefore, God says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Second lesson from the last five months. Life can change very quickly. Boy, we sure learned that one the second week of March, didn't we? (laughs) A lot of you are familiar with the warning in James chapter 4, where God says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. In a very real sense, I, like probably all of you, was, was boasting and bragging in what I had planned in late March and April and May. and I had my little things marked in my calendar. <laughs> On March 1st and 2nd, we had registration Sundays at this church for our kids to go to Butler Springs Church Camp, not realizing that half of those weeks would never happen. March the 9th, I flew back from Colorado where Renee and I had been out for the birth of our first grandchild. She stayed a week longer. But I had no clue on that Monday when I arrived back in Ohio how the world was about to change. Three days after that, we began hearing about shutdowns. On Saturday, some of us from this church were supposed to have been attending a leadership conference in in Mason. Um, That Friday night got canceled. Uh, On Saturday night, instead of doing what I thought I would have normally been doing, I was disinfecting the foyer so we could have a service in here. I was disinfecting all the handles and light switches and all that kind of stuff. We canceled our March 29th friend day that we had been working and building up to. On Sunday, we had our last in-person worship at Bethlehem for 10 weeks because life can change very, very quickly. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul indicates this an awareness of how quickly things can change. He says, after I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Now, that sounds very definite, but notice how he qualifies that. Perhaps! <laughs> I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. See, he's acknowledging that life can change very quickly. He says, perhaps, and if the Lord permits. I don't know if any of you saw this uh, on Facebook or actually it was a sign. I think it was in Cincinnati. I like this one. Can we agree that in 2015, not a single person got the answer correct to, where do you see yourself five years from now? (laughs) Not one of us got that right. You see, life can change very quickly. So the Bible tells us, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is is. All right, third lesson. This kind of goes a different direction. And that is that church, and notice that's in quotation marks, church is not confined to a specific place or schedule. 
Suppose we were to play the word association game here today that I, that I like, and I said, the word is church. What's the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word church? Well, some of you might think of this building we're in when you hear the word church. Some of you might think of a particular time, like 10.30 on Sunday mornings or 9.30 on Sunday mornings. That's what comes to your mind when you hear church. Well, the church. You might even think of certain people that meet here and say, that's the church, my church, my church family. Well, church can be all those things, but it's not limited to those things. A couple of years ago, I was preparing to speak at a leadership seminar up in northern Ohio, and as part of my preparation, I went through the book of Acts, the entire book of Acts, and I asked the question, is church a place? And here's just a fraction of some of what I noticed and then shared in that seminar. In Acts chapter 2, the church began with a massive outdoor event. Later in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we see that church, in their case, took place in the temple and it also took place in homes. Acts chapter 4, they, the early believers were attacked and had to scramble and they had to start meeting in many different places. Acts chapter 5, they were meeting again in the temple courts and from house to house. Acts chapter 8, persecution scattered them literally across the empire. And at the end of, of Acts chapter 8, church took place in a chariot when there was a biblical conversation between Philip and an Ethiopian. Acts chapter 12, there was an all-night prayer meeting at a house. Acts chapter 16, there was a prayer service along a river with some women and then the missionaries who came in and joined them. Church was by the river. Church at the end of Acts 16 was in a prison cell as Paul and Silas were praising God even while they were in a prison cell. Uh, cell. Blessed be your name, even when the sun's not shining, God. <laughs> Acts chapter 20, church lasted past midnight when Paul was preaching one time. Acts 20 ends with preaching on the beach and praying on the beach together as they got ready to depart. And then the book of Acts closes with Paul preaching under house arrest. But still, church was happening. You see, church is not confined to a specific place or schedule. And beginning March 22nd, we got to experience that. We were forced to do things differently. We began looking for the best ways to communicate. We started doing like short videos, and uh, I started recording messages here at this podium to an empty room with a 12-foot ladder, and I'm still doing that uh, for those that aren't coming. Uh, the ladder was here yesterday uh, as I filmed this uh, message. And, and as you've probably noticed over these months, video is not my thing. I do not like speaking on video. Uh, and I, I've, I've improved, but <laughs> I've got a long way to go because it's not my thing, but yet it was necessary. Uh, some of you learned about how to do family worship at home, how to do communion on your own, or maybe have your own song service and things in your home. Uh, we started doing the monthly calendar different because there were no events to publicize. We shrunk the size of the calendar and, and made it a little bit different. We did no bulletin for quite a while until just a few weeks ago. Then in May, we started to come back in person, and we had outdoor worship for Sundays. Uh, then we came inside here on Father's Day and started putting the tape and blocking off certain seats. And we've changed how we did communion and offering. And, and uh, just this month, we've added the 930 back with a Bible lesson in here that's different than what we've tried before. As Christian teaches a lesson to everybody out here, uh, we'll be discussing soon when to go back to regular classes and things like that. But see, all of that has forced me and others to really evaluate why and how we do what we do. Since there is no prescribed biblical way for a lot of this stuff, 
that's given in Scripture. And see, that's good for us to evaluate how and why we do things. You know, how can we best carry out our mission? What is the best use of our resources? And that's why the Bible tells us, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And that brings us to our fourth lesson, which to me is kind of the reverse other side of the coin of what I just talked about. And that is that people still need each other. That's true in family, that's true in friendships, that's true in church family. Let me state very clearly, online worship and studies can never take the place of God's people actually being together. It is a helpful addition and is necessary for some people still, but it is not a good permanent solution. It is not. Let me give you an example from this past week. Um, again, our first and only grandchild is many hours away in Colorado. We obviously don't see Levi that much. Uh, but when they, we, we FaceTime, she FaceTimes a lot more. And just the other day, uh, Thursday or something like that, I might get mild details wrong, Lene, but I'll get to the gist of the story. <laughs> uh, she uh, gets the, her FaceTime rings on her phone one day, and she thought, oh, it's probably Leah, Leah and Levi. So uh, she, the screen pops up, and there's Levi. And apparently Leah, I think, had said something to her, but she must not have heard all of what Leah said, but she figured out quickly that Leah was doing music lessons. Levi was probably interrupting the lessons. <laughs> so, um, so, so she was basically letting Lene babysit while she did music lessons. So when they did, she, when they was at work at Georgetown, and she's talking to Levi and on her little baby voice and things like this, and probably singing and whatever. And, uh, and then finally he starts crying, so she goes at work and gets a musical toy, and she puts him to sleep. So I guess when Leah gets done with the lesson, Levi's asleep. So Lene was babysitting a baby in Colorado from Ohio, and that's cool that we can do that. But it will never replace being able to hold that child in person. The early church understood how important it was to share life and to be together. The latter part of Acts 2, the last six or seven verses, indicate very clearly they shared life together. They did life together. Fellowship was central to the early church. The word fellowship, the, the Greek word is koinonia. It has the idea of being together for a mutual benefit. And that's why in the early church, they often gathered together in person despite opposition from the state. Because they understood the importance of being together as God's people. I saw the same thing in the 1970s in five or six different communist countries where they made the effort to physically be together even if they had to sneak to do it. Because they knew how important it was for God's people to be together. They understood the principle of Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, which says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, many of the important one another commands of the New Testament that we're told over and over again, they can be done online and they can be done on the phone and they can be done by email, but they can't be done as well as they can in person. 
The New Testament calls the church a body, and a body is connected. I will never forget the emotions of the first Sunday we had back together after 10 weeks when we met outside. And I still remember saying that what I, I said, I want to say what I've wanted to say for, for 10 weeks, and that's, welcome home, Bethlehem family, welcome home. And I started crying when I was saying it. One of our elders got up for a communion meditation that day with tears in his eyes and says, this looks so good seeing you all out here. Lots of smiles. So even if we social distance some, and even if we don't pass trays, and even if some wear masks, and even if we don't touch each other, at least we're together. And that is biblically important. It's not an accident that in the second chapter of the entire Bible, in Genesis 2.18, it says that it is not good for the man, mankind to be alone. It's not good. See, we were made for relationships, and they are relationships that Satan wants to destroy, and he's done a pretty good job of destroying them this year. Listen, friends, the near total shutdown of American life had some devastating consequences in April and May. Many lost their livelihoods because they were forbidden from opening up their small businesses because apparently COVID-19 would affect, infect people in small businesses, but not in Walmart or Kroger. Seemed to be the logic. Depression and suicide rates have skyrocketed. And I've seen that in a number of sources. Drug overdoses have significantly gone up. One doctor out in the Bay Area in California said he saw more deaths by suicide during the lockdowns than by COVID-19. He said he saw more suicides in four weeks than he normally sees in an entire year. Then there are those isolated in abusive situations, women and children who, because we were locked down, could not escape their abuse. Many elderly have died alone and confused in nursing homes, wondering why their family quit coming to see them. Funerals have been held with a handful of people allowed. And my question is, we talk all this about showing compassion for grandma and everyone else, but where's the compassion for those people? Where's the compassion for those people? And why are we not, quote, following the science with those numbers? And it's all been in the name of protecting everyone from a virus with a 99% survival rate. I'm going to share a personal story here, and I do not mean in any way to project this onto any other family. This is just my, my mom, my situation. My mother's 89 years old. She's had a number of health problems, but they are not respiratory. Um, she had not been to church uh, probably since close to Christmas because she had been in a hospital and she'd been in a nursing home for about a month. Uh, and they finally got home and then the shutdown came. So basically, they were not in church for most of this year. And sometime in May, before our church had started meeting together again, I called one Sunday night just to check, check in with them. And my mom's all excited. She goes, we got to go to church today. <laughs> First time in however long it had been. And, um, and I said, oh, that, that's interesting. She goes, well, you know, and I wore a mask, but she goes, hardly anybody else had them on, so we took ours off. And I was like, well, maybe that was a good idea, maybe whatever. You know, I'm kind of processing this as she's talking, but she's excited that she got to go. Well, anyway, we finished our conversation, talked about other things, and then hung up. And later that evening, I began pondering that. And I thought, Okay, she has carotid arteries that are 
major league blocked. Uh, she could, she's been having many strokes. She could have a major stroke any day. Uh, we know that every day. You know, she could have a major stroke that could kill her or disable her for the rest of her life, or she could have a mild one again. And that's a reality. Um, but it occurred to me that Sunday that if I was to tell her, Mom, I do not want you going to church, that would have been pretty selfish on my part. So I have no plan to try to deprive her of being with the church that she loves for whatever time she has left in this temporary life here. Because that's what, knowing the risk, that's what she chooses to do. And out of love and respect for her, I'll rejoice that she's able to do that. She understands that people need each other. And that's a biblical concept. And I firmly believe that churches and individuals should have the freedom to decide for themselves if or when they will gather for worship in person. And neither the Bible nor the United States Constitution gives government any authority in that area whatsoever. We must use prayer-driven wisdom to make our own choices about gathering based on conditions in our particular community and in our own personal life and in our own personal family. And thus, the Bible says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. People still need each other. And here's the final lesson. And that is that less is often better. Less is often better. By this, I mean less activities, less expectations, less clutter. In the middle of March, most of our lives got more simplified almost overnight. And that was good for most of us, let's be honest, because most of us were overcommitted before that. We have chosen as families and as individuals to commit to too many things. But simplicity is good. Isaiah 30, verse 15 says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And then it says, but you would have none of it. <laughs> it's saying, you know, there, there's a simpler way to do life and to trust in God and all that stuff, but you don't want it. You want to be busy. <laughs> you want to keep adding things to your life. May 17th, our last online message uh, before we met in person, I preached from Matthew 6. Verse 24 and following, which is Jesus' passage about not worrying about what you eat and drink and wear and, and uh, the stuff of life. And how we don't have to rush about. We do not have to. Luke in Jesus in Luke 12, 15 said that a person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. And guess what? Neither, neither does it consist in the abundance of our activities. Somewhere, somewhere along the way, we got this idea in, in America that if we're really busy and our kids are really busy, then we're really important. <laughs> but less is often better. So the shutdown for several weeks was not all bad. Many enjoyed the family time that they don't take time for normally. Many got home projects done that they put off for years. <laughs> Others had time to read or learn a new hobby. Some improve their prayer and devotional lives. 
My friend Jim Book wrote in the Restoration Herald this month, it is often when we are forced off the interstate of our hectic schedules to take an exit onto a rest stop that we are more able to really evaluate ourselves, our lives, and our choices more objectively. Rest stops are good because less is often better. So God tells us in Scripture, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And see, one way for us to do that easier is to put first things first. But first things first. And that was Jesus' point at the end of that whole chapter in Matthew 6, where he's talking about, don't worry about this, don't worry about this, don't worry about this, don't worry about this. He says this in verses 31 to 34. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. The pagans worry. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but here it is. Here's the key to all of it. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He says, put me first, and the other things start fitting together. So what is God's kingdom when he says, seek first his kingdom? Well, his kingdom includes who he is as a person. It includes his son. It includes his word. It includes his church and his mission. He says, put that first, and then you can learn to live by faith instead of fear, if you put me first. So be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And that means we need to remember what the bottom of our page says, that Jesus is still Lord, and we are not. Let's remember that. Jesus is still Lord, but we are not. And see, that's really a matter of trusting Him. And that's what faith is, trusting Him that he's got things under control, blessed be his name, whether the sun's shining or whatever, we trust him. We trust him amidst a disaster. We trust him amidst uh, fear, disease, viruses. We trust him. We trust him. So during our invitation time every Sunday, it's a matter of us trusting Trusting Jesus enough to say, I'm going to put my life in your hands. Enough to proudly state that faith, that trust, that belief. Enough to repent and say, I'm going to do it God's way and his way only. Enough, if we haven't done that yet, to bury our old life in the water grave of baptism, to rise to a new life. We trust him. We trust him. So let's stand, let's sing, let's think about our lives, let's think about our hearts, let's think about where we are with God, let's think about whether we're living in fear or in faith. And let's respond in whatever ways we need to this morning.